Welcome to C3 Belconnen. You're about to hear a message from James Manning. Hey, so good to be hanging with you today. Hey, if we haven't met, I know there's a bunch of new faces here. My name's James, and my wife Kylie and I, we're on the team here. Love to meet you after the service if we haven't met. But we are actually today... Uh, we're continuing a series called The Promise, and Pastor Nick kicked it off last week. Um, so I encourage you to jump online and listen to that because he set it up really well for us. And we're talking about this idea, and if I can quote Pastor Nick from last week, he said, it's not about how we see Jesus right now, but it's who he is as a fulfillment of God's promises, as a fulfillment of God's promises. God, Jesus is not part two of God's plan. And we're actually going to look at a bunch of stories today. Uh, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that point to, excuse me, point to who Jesus is, um, really in in the story of creation and the story that God is telling all throughout uh, redemptive history. Um, and we're going to look at some stories in the New Testament that that uh, Jesus did during his ministry that that actually pattern the story that Jesus uh, that God has been telling all throughout history. And uh, there's a famous theologian. Uh, St. Augustine, and he puts it this way. He says, the new is in the old concealed, but the old is in the new revealed. And we have to look, when we read the story about Jesus, we have to look um, when we're reading Scripture and hearing all these crazy things that happened in Israel's history, we need to look at through the perspective of Jesus, through the lens of Jesus Christ, and everything that he did uh, to usher in the new covenant that we now get to enjoy today. And there are a whole bunch of types and shadows uh, of Jesus in the Old Testament, and we're going to touch on a few of them today. Uh, people like Abraham and Moses and Joshua, these, these guys uh, all uh, in many different ways pointed to uh, Jesus um, in the New Testament. And um, the Bible says that he's the second Adam as well. So there's, there's many uh, different examples of that, uh, but we're going to dive into a few today. Um, and this is really, this is not so much theology. I said to the guys this morning, forget theology. I mean, don't forget theology, but sometimes it's just way too hard. So um, think history. Think history. Because just as, uh, as scientists and, and lawyers look at uh, historical evidence to prove points and make judgments, we're going to do the same today. So we're going to look at some historical evidence that points to who Jesus is and who he said he was. Um, and it's quite a, it's quite going to be a fun journey. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not a history lesson. Uh, the aim here today is we want to reveal the fullness of Jesus Christ to you because there's a bunch of situations that we're in and we see Jesus from one perspective, but he's more than that. We might see him as our provider, but, but uh, he's also a healer and he also has many other aspects to who he is. Um, and we're going to uh, hopefully unpack that for you today. But first, I want to ask you this quite profound question. Does anyone like Mickey Mouse? Any Mickey Mouse fans in here? A few, yes, a few. <laughs> it's all right, yeah, okay. What about Goofy? Yeah, way, Goofy's way better. We'll stick with Mickey Mouse, though. Um, so way back in the 1930s, um, they, were, they were making Mickey Mouse um, films, and what they used to do is they used to um, have this kind of blank canvas, canvas background where they draw trees and mountains and stuff, and then they would get uh, what's called celluloid, which is this clear uh, plastic stuff, and they'll draw pictures of Mickey on it, 
uh, and then they'll put it on top of the background and they'll take a picture of it. And that's, so that's one frame and then they'll draw another picture and do the next one and they'll make him bigger or smaller if they wanted him to move further into the background or further um, towards the screen to make him look like he was close or far away. And I kind of realized that the problem with that is it kind of gives a false illusion of, of depth and perspective. And as soon as you take Mickey Mouse out of the scene, there's no depth at all. It's just a two-dimensional picture. So they came up with this idea of the, uh, the multi-plane camera. They didn't invent it, but they kind of used it to, um, to bring some more realism um, into the story of Mickey Mouse. And I, uh, um, I'm not technical, so I'm not going to explain it all to you, but uh, I've got a short video that I want to show you. So why don't you turn your eyes to the screen and watch that now. The different elements in the scene were separated according to their varying distances from the viewer. This put the moon on a plane farthest away from the camera. With our original picture broken down in this manner, it is possible to control the relative speed with which each individual part of it moves to or away from the camera. But the moon remains absolutely still. Here we see the multiplane camera crew preparing to shoot that scene. Here are the planes for that scene, each with its own separate part of the background painted in oil on glass. In our frame-by-frame -frame method of photographing a cartoon scene, a feeling of depth is not actually too evident when the scene is under the camera. You might be thinking that it looks as flat as the old-fashioned type of cartoon background. In fact, it does while it holds still. The trick of the multiplane camera is movement. Great. So that was, uh, that was Walt Disney himself speaking there, and there's actually a longer video uh, online that'll take you, if you're a bit of a camera geek, then you can jump on and have a look at that. Um, but um, they realized that there was no depth in the way they were doing things, so they created this thing, and, um, and it's actually the combination of all those different layers um, and angles, and whether the camera zooms in and zooms out, that creates the full picture uh, of, of the story, um, and it creates kind of a real... Um, a real perspective of, of depth and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and when we read Scripture, we actually need to do the same thing. Can I talk to you for a moment about multidimensional faith? For a minute, multidimensional faith. And we're going to unpack this as we go. Um, and this is really about looking at Jesus from not just one perspective, um, but a whole different range of perspective. G uh, the story of Jesus has depth. It's not just what we see at first glance, but there's more to it. There's a cosmic perspective of God. He's a personal God, yes, but he's not an individual God. He's a corporate God, and he's doing stuff not just in our own lives and in our church, but in all of creation, and there's a, there's a bigness to God. And we want to unpack that for you today and for the rest of this series. Um, but I want to kind of set the scene for you right now. Um, so if you can come to me to, with me to John chapter 1. We're going to John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 29. Uh, and this is uh, the Apostle John telling, writing about the testimony of John the Baptist. And um, there's a whole lot going in in this story, but I want to focus on a few things that happen here. And so John chapter 1, verse, starting in verse 29, it says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. He did not recognize him as, I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And then if we jump down to verse 35, it says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God 
And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. We've got any Jesus followers in here today? Just a few. Yeah, come on. Jesus looked around and saw them following. And he said, what do you want? What do you want? That's just another way of saying, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? He asked them. And then they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. So they saw him as a teacher at this point in time. He said, where are you staying? And he said, she said, come and see, come and see. What do you want? Come and see. And these are kind of the two big questions that really frame this whole message today. When you are in your situation, when you're in your circumstance, when you're doing life and these walls come at you and you're trying to find some perspective, who are you looking for in those situations? Who is the Jesus that you see when you come up against all these obstacles? And that was essentially... The same question Jesus was asking these uh, Jewish disciples was, who are you looking for? Because they were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a king to come with sword, an earthly king to sit on the throne uh, and deliver them from Roman rule and captivity and, and usher in uh, this new kingdom. Um, but they missed a lot of who Jesus was because they saw the man and they saw the teacher, but they didn't see who, who he was pointing to, which was that he was Lord. He was the God of their scriptures. And he pointed that out to them in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures looking for eternal life, but you don't realize that they're actually pointing to me. And so they missed a whole bunch of um, perspective on who Jesus was. And we can do the same thing when we're coming to Jesus. We miss the full picture. We miss the full story. And then all of a sudden we find fear and anxiety creeping in and things uh, overwhelming, just the issues of, of life overwhelming us. And so I want to encourage us today to, to get some fresh perspective on who Jesus is, because the reality is, is that he is the fulfillment of everything that God is doing in all of history. He's not just limited to what's, uh, what's kind of told in the Bible. It tells, the Bible tells us about God, but he's bigger than what we know. He's, he's the God of all of creation. And uh, Paul actually talks to this um, and encourages uh, the, in the book of Hebrews, he encourages um, the readers in this way as well. He's pointing to Jesus as well. He says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, he says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by his mighty power, by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic, the majestic God in heaven. This shows us that the sun is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. He is far greater. And this is, this is one of the points I want to get to. Jesus is greater than what we first might think. We know God is our healer, but he's, he's, he's more than that. And all throughout his ministry, he was trying to point this out to the disciples. He was trying to say, no, 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 yes, I'm a teacher, and yes, I'm your friend, but I'm, I'm bigger than that. I'm the God of all history. In fact, he goes as far as to say that everyone who came before me were thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. And then you might be surprised to, to know that he was actually talking about the prophets. 
and all that came before him, and Moses and Abraham. He said he was greater than these guys. He wasn't, he was just using an analogy uh, when he said that, but he was pointing to the bigness of his own story. There's more going on than we might think at first glance. And the, the beautiful thing is that he invites us to come and see. Just like, just like he invited the disciples to come and see, so too he invites us to come and see who he is. Come and see. Take a chance on this Jesus guy and come and see who he is. Don't look at him from, you might know him uh, in one particular way as a, as a very personal God, but come and see him as the cosmic God as well. Come and see him as Lord he is our friend, he is our brother, and he is all this other stuff. Come and see him as Lord. Come and see him as the saviour of not just our personal lives, but the, the person who's going to usher in the, the new creation. Perhaps another way uh, to look at this, um, the other day I was lying down on my deck um, thinking about all this stuff, and there's a beautiful blue sky, um, and there's a kind of a cloud off to the right, and I was looking up at the sky, and I thought if I... If I just focused on the blue sky, I had no perspective and no depth. But the fact that I could see kind of the corner of the roof and kind of the edge of the rail and the deck and there's a cloud off to the right and there's kind of a tree in my peripherals, I could, I could get perspective and I knew where I was. And we need to approach Jesus in the same way. We need to have all these things working together to get a full picture of the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And so when we read Scripture, we need to approach it in this way, because sometimes we view Jesus in this two-dimensional perspective, in this kind of one-level uh, way. And I mentioned before that we can see him as a personal God, and we can see him as a healer and our redeemer. But what happens when, when life gives you lemons? What happens when you believe God is your healer, uh, but you haven't been healed? and there's sickness in your world, or you believe God is your provider, but you're in debt and you're struggling to pay the bills. What happens when these things come at us and we only see Jesus from one point of view? Sometimes we need to step back and look at the bigness of God and the sovereignty of God in those situations. We need to have a multi-layered view of who Jesus is. And the scripture is all we have to tell us about Jesus. And so when we read it, we need to look at it from in a few different angles and a few different layers because it's not just limited to our time and culture and circumstance. God is more. Scripture is more. And I've gone on and on about the cosmic perspective of God, but that's who He is. He's bigger than we sometimes experience. There's more going on than what we might, might know. And Jesus, He was trying to point this out to the Jewish people the whole way through, and they missed it. And I just... Hope and pray that we too, as we come before Jesus, as we look for him, as we try to find out who, who this Jesus person is, I pray that we don't miss it because we're looking at him in the wrong way with the wrong lens on. And I actually want to take you to a couple of stories now um, from both the Old Testament and New Testament that actually point to this bigness of God. And um, there's a whole lot going on in these, in these stories, uh, but I want to kind of unpack them a little bit for you because... Like I said, this is not a history lesson, but we want to show you that God is big and he's greater than, than what we might think. So if you come with me now to John chapter 8, um, and this is the story of the adulterous woman. Many of you have heard it before, and uh, it's quite a profound story, and there's a lot going on there. 
Um, But I want to unpack it a little bit for you now. So come with me now to John chapter 8, starting in verse 3. And Jesus was in the temple at this point, and he said, As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And funnily enough, um, the, they were, this is a test um, for Jesus because they weren't, the Jewish people weren't actually allowed to kill anyone under Roman rule. So they, they brought this before him to test him in this way. And says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And we've all heard this story before. And it says, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said, where are your accusers? Didn't didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, then neither do I go and sin no more. And so there's, you know, at first glance, there's a whole bunch going on in this story. We can, we can draw a whole heap out of it from a personal level. We go, great, God doesn't accuse me. If I sin, he come to save the world. Um, he doesn't come to condemn me. And he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. Um, and we can also look at the Pharisees and go, right, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't throw stones and glass houses kind of thing. Um, and that's all true, and that's all really great stuff. But there's actually more going on here than at first glance. Because remember, we talked about how everything that Jesus did in his ministry was pointing to who he was as a savior of both Israel and all of creation. And so when he did these things, they were deliberate. Uh, and if I can take you to a story now in Exodus chapter 3, just one verse that I want to unpack for you as well. Exodus chapter 31 verse 18, uh, and this is uh, Moses up on the mountain, um, and the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were, they were kind of coming um, out of captivity into the wilderness, and they're about to um, go into a covenant relationship with God, and here's Moses on the mountain, it says, Exodus 31, 18, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God, written by the finger of God. So if we cast back to the story about the adulterous woman, what did Jesus do with his finger? He stooped down with his finger and he wrote in the dust. And all that would have um, brought strong images for the Jewish, the Pharisees that were listening right there because they would have been thinking right back to the Exodus. It says in that story that Jesus knelt down twice. It says he knelt down and wrote and he stood up and he said, whoever's sinned can throw the first stone in. And he stood down and wrote again. That is actually a pattern of what was happening in the Exodus story, where we see Moses, who came down with the Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God. And he comes down, and what does he find? He finds Israel in the act of idolatry. They had made a calf, a golden calf. And to the Jewish people, adultery was a symbol of idolatry. And so we see in the Exodus story that God was angry and he wanted to wipe them off the face of the planet because their hearts were hard. Um, but Moses actually interceded on their behalf and said, no, no, Lord, we can do this. I know our hearts are hard. 
but give us another chance. And so Jesus does the same thing with this, this woman who was caught in adultery. He does the same thing. He shows mercy and he intercedes on behalf of the woman. He says, neither do I condemn you. And there's a whole bunch of really wonderful things in that story. But the point is that God is big. And he was pointing to himself, saying that I am the God of the Exodus. I am the God that, that wrote with my finger on the mountain. That is who I am. I am the God of history, of salvation history. And the Jews missed it. They missed it. Because they had hard hearts. And I want to encourage you today to soften your heart a little bit and see Jesus for who he is. See Jesus for who he is. Don't get caught up in the things that come against us and try to pull us down and stonewall us because God is bigger than those things. We just need to take a step back to see it. We just need to get a wider camera angle, a deeper perspective of who our God is. These stories in the Old Testament are not just kind of nice, weird, kind of abstract stories. They actually point to Jesus. They point to Him as the God of all creation. The same God who parted the waters and gave them manna from heaven and delivered them into the promised land is this Jesus guy. He's the true fulfillment of all of those things. There's a whole bunch of other stories I could tell you about Jesus' ministry that, that pointed to Israel's history. Like when he fed the 5,000, um, you all remember that story if you've read it before. If you've been around church a little while, you would have heard the story of when Jesus fed the 5,000 and miraculously he feeds all these people. Uh, and then straight away he goes and walks on water. Uh, and there's, two, there's actually two incidences in the Exodus where that happens again. He gives people manna from heaven in the wilderness uh, and he passed the seas. He has control over the elements. These, all these things point to who Jesus is. And then he goes on to say, I am the true manna, the bread of life. You eat stuff, things that perish, but I bring you eternal life. Such a powerful image, isn't it? And I hope that that gives you a bigger perspective of who God is. And when you read through Scripture, you're looking at all the different levels that are there for us to kind of devour and unpack. Don't miss the magnitude of who Jesus is. He's a big God. He's a wonderful God. He's our healer and He's our provider. But He's also sovereign over everything. And we're in that time that's kind of the already not yet. We've received everything, but there's more to come. Jesus gave us life. Not just life on this earth, but eternal life. And that's the culmination of everything. Is when God comes and renews everything. And we get to walk in fullness of life with Him for forever and ever. That's a big thought, right? That might get you to shift your perspective a little bit. A little bit. May we have a multi-dimensional view of who our Jesus is. I want to finish with this last story. And this might speak to a few, a few of you here. Because I know that not all of you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I, uh, I want to bring this to your attention and say that Jesus Christ is our rock. He's our rock. And there's one last story, there's one last pattern that I want to share with you from Jesus' ministry and what happened in Israel's history. In Exodus 17 verse 6, 
God is speaking to Moses and he says, I'll stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and walk, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. And so Moses struck the rock as he was told to and water gushed out and the leaders looked on. And then if we fast forward to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks to this very event in Israel's history. He says, don't, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. And that rock was Christ. Christ is the rock who was struck on the cross that brings living water, that brings eternal life. And that might be a new thing for you here today, but I want to tell you that Christ came to give us eternal life so that we could drink and not be thirsty. So I want to encourage you here today, if you haven't met that, that picture of who Jesus is, then there's an invitation for you to come and see who He is. Thanks for listening to our Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.